Mark chapter 7 is our text. Get a great comparison here. Let's read it. It says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For Pharisees and all Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. Uh, When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups and pitchers, copper vessels and couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well, did I, uh, excuse me, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do, he said to them. All too well you reject the commandment of God, uh, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down. And many such things you do. When he had called all the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. So he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him, because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods? And he said, What comes out of a man, that defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All of these evil things come from within and defile a man. From there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, Let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, even, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, for the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out, and her daughter lying on the bed. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. And then looking up to heaven, he sighed, and he said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. 
He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. What we have here is a really great chapter of contrast between the tradition of the Pharisees and the compassion of Jesus. And remember, the scribes and the Pharisees were supposed to be these incredibly godly people. That's what they set themselves up as. But they were supposed to be these experts in God's word. They had all that they needed to live the kind of life that God wanted for them. I mean, they were part of the chosen people, after all. Uh, They uh, devoted their lives, as it were, to following God and his word. But as we've already seen, and as we will continue to see in these studies, they were absolute abysmal failures when it came to spiritual things. They rejected the Messiah. The love of God was absolutely not in them. They are the opposite of what we as men desire to be today. Uh, They were pompous windbags, really, and they were full of hate and, and just contempt for other people. They misrepresented the scriptures all the time. They propped themselves up. They ignored God. But all the while, they thought that they were in right standing with God, and they thought they had devoted their lives to being godly people. But what we see in a chapter like this is that they were completely lacking in compassion and humility and graciousness. They didn't at all reflect the God that they professed to follow, and that was the problem. You know, I think, uh, at least for myself, we sometimes think culturally of the God of the Old Testament as angry and full of judgment, a, a warrior God and those sorts of things. Um, but here's how the Lord described himself back in Exodus chapter 34. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty. So yes, Of course, God is a warrior. He is a God of justice. He judges sin. That is the same in the Old Testament and the present day. Uh, But from the beginning, the Lord has been a God of love and mercy and grace. And those are attributes that are never associated with the Pharisees. Never, ever. Not ever. Uh, Instead, what they did was go around finding fault. That's what uh, verse 2 of our text says. They were watching Jesus and watching his guys. And when those guys didn't follow the tradition of washing their hands in a certain way, which they had made for themselves, uh, the Pharisees found fault. They brought criticism. That was what they were about. Because that's what they valued. They valued their own tradition. Uh, That's all they wanted to talk about and teach about and spend their time doing. Uh, These little stupid, phony rituals and habits that they had decided made them holy and pious and better than those who didn't do them adding thousands of rules to the, the law of Moses and expounding all these you know, lame uh, you know, traditions and then forcing those on to other people. Now, as we read, we saw it. I mean, Jesus totally busts them out on the state of their hearts and, and just really you know, speaks to them as individual people and, and the state of their heart before the Lord. But they didn't care. They didn't care at all. And what's interesting is that you can be a Pharisee. You're, you, you have God's word. You... You've theoretically devoted your entire life to following God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, is sitting there talking to you about the problem that you're facing, and they don't ever care. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't ever affect them. Maybe one or two guys, a guy like Nicodemus comes and he says, there's something going on here. I'm going to secretly come to Jesus by night so nobody thinks that I want to follow him. But it's amazing to me that they could sit there and, and not care about the things that the Lord 
said. All they cared about was their tradition, their self-assigned, self-serving, self-righteousness. And they used that tradition to then go around and intimidate other people. They would look at what you were doing and find fault with it so that they could seem better than you and so that they could prop themselves up above you. Now, in the meantime, of course, they didn't feel the need to listen to the rest of the word of God that was given to them. The, you know, the parts that required self-sacrifice and, and serving others and showing love and compassion and graciousness to others. Well, we, we, don't need, we didn't need to listen to any of that. You know, they decided that, that the five things that they liked best, kind of, you know, uh, you know, the, those things that they built a bunch of made-up rules about, that's all you really needed to do to follow God. They didn't need to care for their parents, as Jesus points out, uh, because they were above that. Yeah, I'm above that. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. Uh, they didn't need to show mercy and grace uh, like the God of the Bible did, uh, because they were above that. They didn't need to do that. Um, they, they were so much better than, than those sections of God's Word. And so they had their little traditions, their habits, and their little exclusivities, and that's what they were about. And as you take this chapter as a whole and compare the Pharisees in the first half to Jesus in the second half, you get the sense that the Pharisees were so busy with their phony hand-washing garbage that they couldn't be bothered to interact with anyone. I mean, they couldn't really be bothered to, to stop and, and spend some time with you as an individual. Uh, even though they had set themselves up as these religious giants, they, they said, hey, we're the authority on God and his word and on how to live. But you really get the sense that they couldn't be bothered by people. I'm too important to talk to you. I'm too busy washing my couch, however that worked back then. You know, whether it was the marketplace or at home or whatever else, you know, the text goes to great lengths to kind of editorialize and say, yeah, the Pharisees did all kinds of crazy stuff, whether it was in the marketplace or it was here or wherever. They were just too busy to interact with people unless it was just them talking down at other Jews, finding fault in the way someone was living their life. That's how they interacted with people. Now you switch over to the back half of this chapter and you see something very, very different. You see Jesus, as we always do, constantly interacting with individuals and with groups of people. And they're not always pleasant people either. Um, and that's an important thing to focus on. Uh, but what we find, as always, is that Jesus never turns people away. Even in this unusual encounter with the Greek Syrophoenician woman, which we're going to talk about in a minute, instead of finding fault like the Pharisees did, Jesus brings hope. He operates with compassion not under human tradition. Uh, his conversation with this Greek woman is a little bit strange. I mean, if we're honest, I mean, a lot of the stuff Jesus said is strange on first read until we figure out, you know, what's really going on. But really, his interaction with her isn't quite as bad as it seems to us on, you know, cursory reading there. You know, we absolutely do not have time to cover that story in depth, obviously. So if you'd like a specific study on this interaction between him and this woman... Um, you can go to the website and read my dad's in-depth study of this chapter in the book of Mark. Um, but that aside, Jesus still interacted with her. Um, he, he still extended help and mercy to her, and he compassionately ministered to her. The reason he talked to her the way he did, um, there's some interesting reasons there if you look that up on the website. But what we see here in this text is that ministry is, number one, on the heart of God. God is into ministry. Uh, his purpose is not to find fault, but to bring hope. That's God's purpose in ministry. 
I mean, God wants to save us from our faults, not walk around and say, you're not doing this right, you're not doing that right. God comes to you and says, yeah, I know about the state of your heart. I know about your imperfection and your sin, and I want to save you from that sin. I'm here to bring you hope from that, uh, 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 that life. Um, uh, number two, ministry isn't always comfortable. It's not always convenient. You know, as we read this, a lot of what Jesus did in this chapter and, and in the last six that we've already read was really inconvenient. I mean, it's Mark's going to great lengths to talk about they didn't have time to eat. They didn't have time to rest. They didn't have a room to breathe. They didn't, you know, have a chance to do, you know, certain things because people were always coming and Jesus was always ministering to them. And so a lot of what he did was inconvenient. It was taxing. It was uncomfortable and, and sacrificial. But the Lord came to serve, not to be served. That's what he said. And, and he saw his life as an ongoing opportunity to demonstrate his compassion and to bring hope as he headed towards the inevitable calling of, that God the Father gave to him to die on the cross. Uh, but it wasn't easy. I mean, you see the weight of Jesus' service. I mean, and I think this is really interesting. You, you get to see a little bit of the humanity of Jesus here. It's hard for us to not think of Jesus as God because he is God, a very God. But Jesus was also fully man. He had emotion and he had feeling and he, you know, he had opinions about things. And so you see the weight of his service. He was moved by the suffering of the people around him. I mean, it says in the text that he looked up to heaven and he sighed at the agony of sin and suffering that he was, you know, around. Uh, he was disappointed when people lacked faith or when the disciples, you know, weren't thinking heavenly-minded or when the Pharisees were putting burdens on others. And so the life of Christ, I mean, his life wasn't easy, but he made himself available to live out his compassion and to bring real hope to people. That's what he was about. Now, several times already we've read in this book, that Jesus told people not to announce that he was in a specific region or not to say that he had healed them. Um, and so you might think, okay, well, if Jesus wanted to make himself available, why did he do that? And is that really compassion? And was he trying to just hide out? Um, he didn't do that because he didn't want to help people. He did that because his goal was not to be a performer. Okay? He, he didn't want to come into a locality and say, get everybody out here so I can you know, shoot some fireworks out of my hands and things like that. I mean, he, he didn't want to be the traveling miracle man that people came out to see like he was David Copperfield. He wanted to come and preach about the kingdom of God and to bring help for those who were needy. And so you know, his goal was to preach and to do ministry person to person and heart to heart. And everyone that God the Father brought into his path in these texts was someone that he reached out to. So his goal wasn't to be the traveling miracle man, but he did perform miracles. And so whenever people came to them, came to him, he would preach to them and talk to them and minister to them person to person, and he would lay his hands on him, them to do a work in their lives. Now, he didn't heal every single person on the planet like he could have. Uh, Jesus could have done that, and he didn't. Instead, he was spirit-led, as we are called to be, and he never turned away those who came to him for help. Uh, this is something that I'm really trying to nail onto my own heart for myself as we look through these chapters, uh, because I find that my human nature really drifts more towards the Pharisee side of the chapter. You know, my nature is more interested in finding fault in others. It's easy to find fault in others, and it, it makes us feel better to find fault in someone else and kind of distance ourselves from the areas of God's word that maybe require more self-sacrifice or more devotion or, or, or uh, more introspection. Uh, 
I'm, I'm in my human nature more interested in finding your fault or in picking one or two things that I've decided are Christian enough and then ignoring the other stuff. Um, but the focus of my life isn't supposed to be uh, some sort of human tradition that I've given to myself, whether it be religious or not. It's supposed to be compassion. And as the Lord fills me and directs me, he's going to use me to bring hope, not find fault. Uh, God is going to judge. I mean, God is going to deal with people's sin. God is just and true and deals with the faults of men. But we as his uh, agents here on the earth are to preach to this world about sin, and we're to preach about the need that everyone has for salvation. But as we go from person to person, we need to go in compassion, not in fault-finding. We need to bring hope, not tradition. Uh, Jesus always spoke the truth to people. He always called them out on sin. We're not saying that, well, you don't talk about what people are doing is wrong. No, that, that's not what we're talking about. But Jesus was never too busy to interact with someone who needed ministry, and he was never too holy to stoop down you know, to do uncomfortable service for those around him. Uh, because the Lord valued ministering to others. Uh, Pharisees valued putting themselves above others, psychologically and conversationally and religiously. And so if we were to use our modern vernacular here, the Pharisees thought they were Christian enough and that they didn't need to listen to all the word of God. They only needed to listen to the parts they thought were, they were already doing. And that's what's so great about the, the life of the Pharisee. I'm already doing these five things, and really those are the only things that you need to do to be a really holy, wonderful person. And if you're not doing these five things that I'm already doing or I already act like I'm doing, you're nothing. You're a dirt dog, you know. Uh, and so the Pharisees thought they were Christian enough, as it were, that they didn't need to listen to all the Word of God and apply it to their lives. They only needed to listen to that stuff they were already doing. So, you know, honor your mother and father. Oh, I don't need to do that because I already did this over here. I already tithed my mint and cumin. And so that cancels out what the Lord said about honoring your father and mother, uh, which would require me showing compassion. They didn't need to stoop down and interact with people lovingly and compassionately because, after all, Pharisees thought, yeah, those people, they're, you're full of faults, and you don't deserve my time. You don't deserve my care. You're some leper, and I'm glad you're that way, and you deserve to be that way, and so I don't need to lower myself to show you kindness or compassion or help. And if we're not careful as Christians, we get selective like that. We start to value the things that we're already doing more than the ministry that God is placing in front of us. And we get selective about how uncomfortable we're willing to get when it comes to our discipleship. You know, coming together for worshiping, you know, coming together to worship the Lord at a church service is one thing, but choosing to love my enemies, well, if I want to, I can reason my way out of that one, or I can figure out some sort of tradition or a logic which exempts me from that. After all, I came and worshiped the Lord, so yes, the Bible says love your enemies, but... I can figure out a way to rationalize my way out of that, uh, that text. That's what a Pharisee does. It's a hard thing to protect our hearts from the mindset of a Pharisee. It's really not an easy thing to do, but it is simple. Uh, what we need to do is value the whole word of God, value the people God has placed in our lives, be they convenient or inconvenient, desirable or undesirable, uh, and value the ministry that God wants to do person to person and heart to heart through us. And I assure you, I really am speaking to myself here because I want to be better about finding value rather than finding fault. I want to be more compassionate to people who, who seem inconvenient to me at the time. Um, that's what we all want as disciples. And so our part, according to Jesus, is to have ears to hear and to recognize 
that any attitude of self-service or self-righteousness or self-importance, that is not from God. It's from the Pharisee in our hearts. And instead of going through life finding fault, we should go through this life bringing hope. That's the Christian calling. Um, the cultural and religious traditions that we have need to be evaluated. They're not all bad. They're, not, they're certainly not all good. They all need to be evaluated because if those traditions set up by men are eating away at our compassion for people who are different than us, then we've got a problem. Because compassion is always to overcome and trump tradition in the life of a disciple. And so to all of us this morning and, and to myself, I say this, we, we must be compassionate we need to bring hope and interact with people God has brought into the text of our lives today. That's what puts us in the back half of this chapter with Jesus, keeps us from the sinful self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Amen?